0: I'm so excited you decided to take the time to listen to Creative Talk. My name is Eric Humphrey, and on this podcast, I get the chance to speak with some of the most interesting, inspiring people I've worked with and been mentored by. I hope you enjoy. Thank everybody for coming out tonight to the gallery show. <laughs> like, I truly appreciate you guys taking your time out of your day to, to spend the evening with us, to, to drink, have fun. And then we have an amazing panel that's going to speak to you guys about breaking through barriers and creativity. Um, so first up, I'm going to bring up Taj Tashambi. I've known Taj for, I guess it's going on 17 years now. We went to college together, and Taj is actually from the Bay Area, and he now works for the Oakland A's. Um, he's one of the best orators I've known in my life. He, if you're familiar, there's a group called Toastmasters, and teaches you how to speak in public when you're in college. And he ran it at our school. And so I was definitely afraid of speaking in public. And Taj used to force me to go to Toastmasters. And so now I'm able to sit up in front of this crowd and be able to talk because of that. So. He is gonna be an amazing order today and moderator for our panel. So, Ty Sashambi. <laughs> so next up, I wanna bring up one of the gentlemen that has large, largely influenced my career, my ability to, be, to do this as a photographer full time. Um, when I decided to become a photographer, I worked in corporate for nine years, and I went on a trip with a buddy, Elton, to take some pictures in Hawaii and I called my buddy up, the only person I knew that worked in advertising, and I was like, you gotta get me some meetings at your agency. And at the time he was an account manager at BBDO and he set up like three meetings for me. And that kind of spurred my career. One woman that I met told me I needed to quit, move, leave Atlanta, move to LA. I listened to her. She became (laughs) somewhat of a mentor for me throughout my career and this brother Dane Scotty has been one of my best friends. He's now um, running Pixel for Google, but he's went from BBDO to McCann where he ran Coca-Cola globally. Um, he was named 40 under 40 by Ad Week. He just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. I mean he's a rock star in the advertising industry. So Dane Scotty. <laughs> So next person I wanna bring up, I, this is my first time actually meeting her today, but I feel like I've known her for a long time. As I mentioned, the gentleman Elton Anderson, if any of you guys are familiar with like these groups of people that take these traveling trips and they always have photo shoots. So I feel like Elton and Cassidy kind of started that vibe and that trend. And so now, she, now everyone does it. So Cassidy works at Airbnb, but I've known her through pictures I feel like for five years now because of Elton. And I'm so thankful to have her here on this panel. She's been in Oakland or San Francisco for 13 years, involved in philanthropy and marketing, and I'm just really thankful that she was able to come out and do this tonight. And then last but not least, I wanna introduce, is anyone familiar with Straight Outta Compton? And familiar with the the campaign straight out of somewhere where everybody was putting that on Instagram, T-shirts made. So I want to introduce a person that came up with that idea, um, Daryl Butler. I met him, I guess it was seven years ago when I moved to LA, and one of my frat brothers was like, "You got to reach out to this guy, Daryl. He's a frat brother. He works at Beats by Dre. He'd be dope." We met, we connected, and we've stayed connected. I had a podcast, had him on it, and I learned so much about him. He's from Los Angeles. He's overcome so many challenges, and he is one of the most amazing creatives. So he's been at Beats, he's been at Jordan Brand, and he was also at uh, Boost Mobile, and, he's, uh, and now he's at HP, and he's about to change the game at HP. So thank you, Daryl, for being here tonight. All right, I'm gonna turn it over to Tosh. Thank you, Eric.
1: Let's give everybody a big round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. And big shout out to Eric for your vision tonight and putting this together. You're amazing. And guys, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Good. Well, let's get this conversation started. I mean, your careers have been, I'm gonna start with you, Dane. Your careers have all been fascinating journeys. And I think for the audience, it would be good to just get a snapshot of your journey. If you could sum your journey up in 60 seconds, how would you describe, Dane, your path from its inception to now? Just the journey, not all the fun stuff that happened in between,
2: just, right? Just, the, the career just, part?
1: Just a snapshot of, of your journey.
2: All right, 60 seconds. Uh, born in the Bronx, moved to Atlanta for high school, went to college at HBCU, FAMU in Florida. Uh, always known wanted to be in advertising since, since I was 13 years old. And first job in advertising was in New York at Publicis, working on Baby Formula. After that, after a couple of years, I went to work at Anomaly when it was first up and starting. Worked at Anomaly, uh, and then from there, went to a larger agency, BBDO. Ended up staying there for eight years. Used the opportunity at BBDO to not only work in the New York office, but then to move abroad to London, a country I had never even stepped foot in until I moved there. Ended up staying there for four years. Uh, coming back, running Bud Light for BBDO, and then Moving to Atlanta for a second time um, to run Coke globally, and five months ago just moved out to the Bay to work at Google. So jumped over to client side. So a lot of hopping around, but always chasing that different thing that would help me kind of put some differentiation on that that resume.
1: Okay, so we'll come back to your. See so what I'm getting out of these 60-second snapshots is what's what's your buzz, your buzzword. You just you just gave us so, so you're a differentiator. So we'll come back to that. So think about what your true distinction or differentiator has been in your career? Cassidy, sure. 60 seconds, give All us right. a snapshot.
3: So I would say that my journey has really been defined by doing what I wanted to do, not what other people thought I should do. Um, So I came out of school with a degree in French literature, always thought I would become a master, uh, always thought I'd become an architect, came out to the Bay Area thinking I'd stay for three months, it's now been 13 years. So in that time I've been able to find myself in a career in communications. Um, I worked in policy, then the economy bottomed out, and I decided to go into a design agency where I was working on, on different uh, community engagement initiatives and, and land use issues. But at that time, I felt like I was missing something. I was missing something that was really inspiring me creatively. Um, and so I decided to do what everybody told me was crazy at the time, which was to quit my job and start a blog about going natural and wearing my hair naturally. Um, and in that time, there was not a thing called Instagram. There was very little social media. And so as a blogger in that space, we actually were creating the movement and creating Um, A large shift in how the beauty industry perceived people of color Um, and that just put me on a whole different trajectory so I'm now at Airbnb um, as a director of global editorial on the communications team and I came to Airbnb about a year ago um, from Walker and company brands where I was the director of uh, brand marketing um, leading the development of a hair care brand called form and a men's shave system called bevel
1: fantastic so what I heard from you is serious shifts So let's come back to that, like how you've transitioned and acquiesced into different environments. So,
4: Daryl, your journey in 60 seconds. Well, first of all, I can't do anything in 60 seconds. (laughs) But I'm going to try. I'm an HBCU grad um, as well. Came out of Morehouse College a long, long time ago. Uh, I came out and had no clue what I wanted to do, quite honestly. Um, I dual-degreed in finance and marketing. I decided to take the finance route. So I started my career as an accountant. Um, debits, credits, closing books, 10 Ks, 10 Qs, FP&A work. One day I was actually signing um, uh, commission checks and no one was in the office but me. I decided I needed to be in sales. So I left finance and went into sales. I was at Disney. um, I think I made the move actually before Disney uh, and I ended up in a a sales role at Nextel Communications. Chirp, you guys remember Chirp? (laughs) Uh, So I was doing finance for them, uh, went into sales for them, ended up doing corporate account management, and then Boost Mobile came around. Uh, The Where You At campaign was one of the first things I worked on as a marketer. Um, Hadn't necessarily had any formal experience, but just had a passion for storytelling and decided I wanted to try my hand at it. So I, I made now a jump from finance to sales, sales to marketing, and really found a passion um, in, in my career around storytelling. And it started with, with Boost. I left Boost, I ended up going to Nike, uh, doing a lot of great work with Nike and the Jordan brand. I left the Jordan brand to uh, get on the agency side for a little while, um, left the agency side and went back client to uh, Beast by Dre. I did Hear What You Want. I was responsible for Straight Outta and a few other campaigns that really were opportunities to truly test my storytelling skills. And, um, you know, HP came knocking and say, hey, can you do that for us? And so five months, I've been here in the Bay Area, uh, and the objective is to uh, recreate the magic.
1: Thank you, guys. So <clears throat> I wanna target the conversation a little bit to, to the audience and go, so, go off some themes that have been presented to us. So another question for you, Dame, would be, What unique challenges have you faced as a person of color in the creative industry? And how have you been able to overcome and navigate those challenges? So thinking again, back to your key buzz phrase of you being a differentiator, putting the lens on of you being an African-American male in an industry that's been dominated by white males, Mm -hmm. predominantly over the last 70 or 80 years. When I think of mad men, I never saw a black person on madman you know as an advertising executive so we don't have a history of of being thought leaders in this space so with the question in mind and your path how would you address that like what are what are some of the challenges you face and how have you overcome them i think it's uh
2: i know this we're sitting in the this is a beautiful ad agency but we're sitting in an agency right now i think Advertising was a thing that I found kind of by mistake when I was 13 years old and somehow up until five months ago I was specifically in it but now I'm still connected to it even being on the marketing side. Uh, so I, I had the the, ben- the blind benefit of falling into a career path before knowing the reality of the career path. I was again there's we talk a lot about representation and exposure I just sort of had an internal gut feeling that I needed to be making TV commercials which led me down a path that found an advertising internship which was supposed to open doors for people of color into an industry that you know, previously I had not known had an issue with recruiting people of color. So I sort of arrived at those doors without knowing that there was an issue. I was already one foot in, right? So, uh, but very shortly thereafter, when I went into that world of advertising, I realized a few things. One was, it's a unique industry because it cast the people you staff an account with, the people you have working on a business, you, you cast it to reflect those clients. So this thing we talk about, about inclusion and diversity and you know, making sure everybody has a voice at the table, it on its face kind of works against the premise of what we do, especially in account services. Like we are supposed to make clients feel comfortable. and we're, So there is a business imperative to make sure that that account is staffed with people that look like the people on the other side of the table the people that are dealing with the CMOs, the people that are dealing with the decision makers. So I think that is this hidden problem within that industry. It's not the only problem, but it is almost a, per, a permission structure which makes it okay to say, but no, we've just cast it for this account, right? So I stepped into that world and I realized where do I fit in in a world which is very overt about being choiceful and sort of strategic about who it recruits, who it promotes, who it sort of puts on certain pieces of business. Uh, what I realized was you the way to sort of get around your skin color, get around sort of everybody not looking like you, maybe get around not feeling like you have anything in common with everybody in that work environment, is finding a way to talk the language of creativity and storytelling, which transcends sort of you know race in some ways, which opens up the doors of curiosity of, What's your interpretation of there? There's, there's no hard and fast rule around curiosity. So I realized very early in my career that relationships with creatives, understanding creativity and storytelling was a thing that I was gonna have to double down on to help keep my job and stay relevant and not to sort of, and to to also allow myself the space to be myself, right? That's part of why I got in advertising. So it was this weird mix of like, I gotta manage these creative relationships, I gotta be on top of it when it comes to like, my interpretation of storytelling, Uh, but at the same time, within that, I still want to be an individual. So there's this struggle there, which is, how can you be an individual in an environment where nobody looks like you, and the things that you're expressing or the things that you think are relevant, people aren't really understanding or getting? So that's still a problem in some ways, but I think the more senior I've gotten, the, the more confident I've gotten to say like, but we can have a difference of opinion because creativity is subjective but this is how I feel. So I say all that to say like it's a very messy process, and the statistics in the face of it don't look so great, but I think somewhere within that world, creativity is the thing that allows you to be the individual that you are, because no one person, no one race, no one identification owns creativity. So I've kind of leaned into that to help me move forward without feeling like I'm the sort of the lone, different thing in the, in a group of sayings, right?
1: I love it. <clears throat> How many of you guys watch Blackish? What what I'm hearing from you is, is kind of what reminds me of Anthony Anderson's character Dre on Blackish, he plays an advertising executive and every every episode there seems to be a theme that relates to the disconnects between the cultural isms that society has versus the norms and the projections. And Every episode there seems to be, you know, Kenya Barris, who's the writer or producer of the show, seems to to try and tie back in this level of of similarities that coexist between all of us through through Dre. So Dre sometimes I remember when he had there was an episode when he wanted to go back to his, his barber shop in the neighborhood and he thought his old barber could cut his hair in a modern time frame and he messed his hairline up and his, it was crazy. And it was just, it was relatable. Like we, some of us can relate to that. But when he goes to work, the job folks don't relate to that, right? Like, so I think sometimes the experiences that, that I want to hear from you guys are, do you take off any version of yourself in order to produce your creative genius? Are you able to be distinctly you? And Cassie, I'll set this up for you. You've shifted, you've had different iterations of career. Have that always been the case? Have you been able to manifest the you out of your, co- out of your career and your work?
3: Um, so I actually think that my personal shifts uh, were, were really inspired by me getting closer to a, to a source of authenticity and coming into me being holy myself. And I had a mentor once tell me Um, that the only way to be 100% yourself is to bring all of you to work, bring your best self to work, that same person that you are at home, and that same person that you are at work into home. And therefore, you don't have to transition between the two. You can be 100% yourself all day long. Um, And I think for me, really owning that has really allowed me to be more consistent, um, be more authentic, be more real, and be more true and what I would like to see myself achieve and, and push myself to to go there.
1: Let so me ask you a follow-up question. So going from um, working with Tristan and and Bevel and the products that you guys are developing there to Airbnb. Yes. Being that you're focused on a very endemic, African-American centric creative um, execution, what do you see differently at Airbnb? What are you bringing to Airbnb that didn't exists before you or what is transferred, what's been transferable from your previous work that is allowing you to manifest the you?
3: Yeah, a- at, you know, working at Walker and Company, it's with a black founder, with a predominantly person of color led leadership team and a whole company, um, we were the stewards of a message and we were really trying to advance inclusion in an entire industry. Um, but what I learned in my time in the beauty industry is that people, are more alike than we are different. And it's the way that we communicate these stories that you can really allow messages and audiences to be connected to one another, but at the end of the day, a human is a human is a human. We all have hair, we all have insecurities, and we all wanna be our very best selves. Um, And and both Airbnb and Walker and Company are people-driven, they have people-driven missions. And at Airbnb, The mission is to ensure that anyone can belong anywhere. Um, And so making sure that we can continue to build inclusive products, inclusive experiences for people, um, really drives the work that I'm continuing to do today and continuing to be a champion. I'm able to be a champion for people um, of all different backgrounds um, all over the world now. Um, to to really connect with one another and, and have these offline experiences.
1: Okay, I'm gonna mix it up for Daryl. <coughs> you're a storyteller, and you've had a lot of experience in different organizations. Now you're here in the Bay Area at HP. How can you bring the swag to Silicon Valley?
3: <laughs> with this hat.
4: The with this hat. With this Silicon Valley. Okay. Well, um, I guess the way I, I would approach it, or the way I'm thinking about it, is. Well, twofold. One is what I call cultural intelligence. And cultural intelligence to me is not about knowing the hottest spots and being in the coolest places. Cultural intelligence is just being aware of what your audience has passion for. And being able to cater to those passions with your brand proposition and your product proposition. Let's just start there, right? So build that cultural intelligence. And with that, you learn and earn the right to be in those cultural spaces in an authentic way. Right? HP today probably can't show up at All Star Weekend. Not yet, because we haven't earned the right to be there. We might have a functional purpose with our products, but we haven't developed a relationship with that audience such that we have the right to have that exchange. That comes with developing their cultural intelligence. The second is maintaining um, some consistency in your approach. You can't plant the flag on Tuesday and then pick it up on Thursday and turn and go back to your normal ways. That's the natural progression of a big organization that's been around for 80 years. You, You fight inertia because the natural tendency is to lean into what you're comfortable with. As a very successful 80 year brand that is, you know, multi-billion dollars in in revenues annually, it's very natural for them to lean into what they've done naturally for 80 years, which is make great product. But if you want to be relevant with a younger audience, if you want to to tap into that zeitgeist of cultural, and uh, excuse me, uh, creative prose, you have to be able to tell a different narrative. And that starts with establishing a A dialogue with this audience. And that starts with having some level of intelligence about what's important to them, where their passions lie.
1: You just hit another buzzword, zeitgeist. That's one of my favorite favorite words. I feel like that's part of the cultural responsibility that this panel all has. And the zeitgeist, by definition, for what I understand it to be, is the spirit of our times. And what comes out of our zeitgeist, this period, this day and age, is all of our responsibilities. So the work that's done here at this agency, the work at your companies, my work at the A's, we are responsible for what's gonna happen, right? For our children and our children's children, to some extent. So I'll throw one other question back at you, Daryl. Considering the zeitgeist and considering your experience, how can you bring more cultural immersion into an 80-year-old organization that's a behemoth Mm -hmm. at making products, but not necessarily at reaching people and cultural immersion. And being a man of color in an environment such as Palo Alto that doesn't necessarily understand where you're from and your experiences, where do you bridge those gaps?
4: I think, again, it starts with Identifying where the where the common ground does lie. If you think about technology, everything we do today is a function of technology. Full stop. Take away technology, and we are back in the dark ages. There you go. So that's that's the that's the groundwork or the foundation for an HP to establish its point of view in culture. Everybody in here has a smartphone. Everybody in here has a laptop. Everybody in here can probably turn their lights on from their smartphone or open their garage. Everybody has a coffee maker that starts based on some program. Technology, the music you listen to, the, the books you keep on your, on your is technology. So for HP and for, for me, it's not necessarily about color. It's about just cultural relevance and that cultural relevance is establishing where technology plays a role in the way that we enjoy our lives and the way that we live our lives. We work, play, live by way of technology, full stop. Now, the, the real hurdle for an HP is how do you establish, or how HP will establish its point of view relative to that technology and culture. That's my job. And that is something that's, and I was saying it to, to Dane earlier, it's like hacking at a red, right now I have a butter knife. I will have a buzz saw eventually. But today, it's, it's slowly, you know, showing different opportunities where HP can establish itself as relevant in the lives of everybody in this room in some way, shape or form and continue to reinforce that. The more we reinforce that, the more cultural intelligence we will become, the more culturally relevant we will become, the better the chance is for me to have that conversation with you and have you say, yeah, let me get down with that.
1: Okay, let me take a quick poll of the room. All of you here in your different lines of work and fields, and it's okay if you work here, this question applies to you too. Do you feel like you have a butter knife? Raise your hand in your work, okay? put your hands down. Who feels like they have a hacksaw in their work? Just you? Okay, three of you, two of you. I think I have one too. Why is that the case, Cassidy? Why why don't more of us feel empowered to to bring the change with us wherever we go? So let's that's not even a racially charged question. That's just a social establishment question. You know, we are we are against large industry that has a way of doing business across the board. Mm -hmm. It's not just technology, it's not just advertising, it's not just sports. But many of us in this room feel like we have butter knives. We can't change, we can't use our creativity and influence things out the gate. We have to adapt and create and evolve. But why should we have to do that every time we go to a new place of business? What are your
5: thoughts?
3: I think it can go both directions. I, I actually wonder if we should be going at it with a buzzsaw at first. Um, you know, to your point, it's really about establishing that credibility, establishing that trust with communities um, that you might not have otherwise engaged with before and and building that rapport, building that relationship, building that cultural level of understanding before going in and trying to cause all of these massive shifts. And I think even going into an organization, it might take that similar approach. You wanna know where those apertures are for for being able to, to inspire change, to be able to, insert yourself into certain ways to maybe you do see that long game. But I think if one goes in sort of as a bull in a China shop, you might not be as impactful Okay. as possible. So
1: let me, let me, let me ask the question a different way. So if you're Steve Jobs and you want to become a disruptive innovator, why is that okay for Steve Jobs to be a disruptive innovator versus Dane? Can Dane be a disruptive innovator at Google right now? Or does he have to adapt to Google's philosophy? Or can he bring the heat right now? Because Dane is 40 under 40. Dane is, he's balling. Dane is doing things. So why does Dane have to subdue Dane in order to achieve the ultimate level of distinction as being a disruptive innovator? Because
2: Dane's the boss and he wants to stay employed. (laughs)
3: But that, but that is actually it, right? Do you want to do all of Dane within your current organization? Or is it better to be that disruptor coming from the outside?
2: I think disruption exists on a spectrum. And I think being a marketer especially, the majority of organizations are not marketing organizations. Mm-hmm. They're sales organizations, they're product organizations, they're technology or innovation driven organizations there is already an uphill battle within those type of organizations to prove the value of marketing mm-hmm. to prove the value of branding so when you talked about the metaphor of a butter knife it it is so appropriate but at the same time there's a benefit to that butter knife because you have to make precision cuts and no kind of you know you're not just hacking away so i want to use that metaphor to say like the the job that we have and the role that we have in building brands and protecting brands it is a long haul job and we experience the tension between that role every quarter, every time there's a not-so-great business result or revenue performance. That is why that tension exists, because most people buckle under it and sacrifice what they've been building. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. They do things that don't inherently feel right for the brand, to try to be of the times, to try to fing that cultural intelligence or that credibility. Or think they can just purchase it you know the capitalism and the structure of a business economically runs at odds in many times with the the art and the craft of building a brand and allowing that brand to sort of flow and pivot with the world and culture as it sort of expands right like we're, the world and the way we live our lives doesn't happen in a vacuum every day you wake up thinking the day is going to be a certain way and it happens very differently than what you imagined that morning. Why do we expect in our jobs, because we're supposed to reflect consumers and their needs and play that back to them, that we shouldn't be as agile, right? But at the same time, you get up every day and every day is different, but you know what you want to get out of your year, you know what you want to get out of your five years, your 10 years, out of that job that you're in, that career. You retain a long-term vision, but you remain flexible enough to pivot but still stay on track. That ability is very difficult when you have economic pressures and revenue pressures, uh, and especially when you're in a, a somewhat disempowered function within an organization. So uh, the butter knife thing, I, I completely agree with it, but I, I do think it is a reality that we have to embrace that like this is craft.
4: And let's just remind like. ourselves, Steve was not successful out of the gate. He was a bull in the China cabinet. And as a result, he was summarily dismissed, <laughs> That's right? right? Um, Steve made a call to Bill and Dave and said, help me with this operating system. So HP was, the, was one of the companies that helped him figure out how to get his system off the ground when he was struggling. So I think the, the, the call out here is where you step into an organization has everything to do with how loud and boisterous you can be right there, there might be a point where i'm sitting at the head of the table and yeah i can stump my foot and i walk in with my radar cap on and i might bring a jerry curl back right but <laughs> but that's not where we that's not where we are right now so that that surgical cut is really what we're talking about here right and that that's, that that also is not racial that's wherever we sit in our organizations we have to pick and choose the battles that are mutually beneficial. And what I mean by that is, they have to serve the organization's greater good, and you have to see some benefit from having served that greater good. That's when you see progress, right?
1: Okay, I'm gonna ask one more question, then we'll open it up to questions in in the audience. The title of this panel and event is, is called Pushing Through Resistance, and I'm pushing you guys to help our audience and myself understand what has been some of the key moments of resistance that you faced in your careers and your journeys and the backside of the question is as you've overcome resistance and you're all very successful who have you brought along for the ride have you mentored do you have a protege where is that in your your ethos of your brands and your careers so we'll start with you Cassidy
3: I think you know coming back to this place of representation um, and really trying to create community and create products for people that larger organizations might not see value in, um, that creates a lot of difficulty. It creates difficulty and resistance in trying to find funding. It creates difficulty in trying to find support for ideas. Um, it creates difficulty in trying to find partners to execute. Um, but what I learned is you need a team. You might have to build things where you see them, not before, before they actually exist. Um, and an example of this is, again, when I, when I think about trying to just really build this natural hair and black hair care movement, at a time when the the market trends dictated that the preference was very very different, which was straightening a person's hair, um, in a place that is very very um, uh, uh, not person of color friendly, San Francisco. This is where this is all happening, and so you know, for me, it was about building that community where it didn't exist, um, proving our worth, and and doing so from the ground up, and really galvanizing people and creating spaces for people to exist and their authenticity to to shine through.
1: Fantastic.
4: Daryl? Well, first of all, when you think about mentors and mentees, uh, I'm I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, And I don't think that that needs to be manufactured. The idea of mentorship is something that happens naturally, right? It could be based on a friendship. It could be based on a work relationship you know folks will come forward with requests for advice that's not mentorship mm-hmm. there's a big big difference you know you get a call hey what would you do to solve this problem and they think that all of a sudden now I'm a mentor no you just asked me to help you solve a problem and I will give you the right advice to help you solve that problem mentorship is a relationship and that relationship is two two ways and it's not old to young It's not senior to junior it's it could it can go all kinds of different ways um and i think that's something that develops now as someone who sits in a position where i feel like i have enough information experience that i i have a right and a responsibility to impart then i'm going to do my part to do that but i'm not going to go around saying hey you need a mentor (laughs) hey hey i I, I got it no it doesn't work that way right? Right, right it comes as, as naturally as anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll start there. And then the next thing I would say is, um, there are nuggets that you will pick up along the way. Um, and I actually, and you know Omar Johnson. Omar used to say, I accumulate mentors. I accumulate people who actually can help me in various walks of life, personally, professionally, spiritually, financially, otherwise. Uh, and I have, I have adopted the same thing, which is, I don't care if you're younger than me, if you have an experience that I haven't experienced yet and I can benefit from it, I'm looking to learn, right? Eric is a mentor of mine when it comes to photography. He was the person that helped me figure out what what camera to even buy and what to look for and what to think about and and I use that information not because of, for anything other than he's an expert and I can benefit from that expertise, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, and I'll, I'll leave it with this, uh, a simple thought, think two, take one, and the, and the, the, the transa- translation there is every walk you take, you need to have thought two steps ahead of the step that you're taking, because that informs the step that you're taking, because if you think one, take one, all you're doing is living by the moment, mm-hmm. right? And that was something that a mentor told me. And everything I've done from, well, a long time ago, um, (laughs) no dates, no dates, really hinges on that idea. And that came from a a mentorship that we still, I still have today with the same individual.
0: Dang.
2: Um, I got very similar advice from a mentor. He phrased it as, it's not about the job, it's not about the next job you're pursuing it's always about the job after the job so think about that while you're pursuing it but that same sort of mentality uh just very quickly yeah i love this question because if i think about challenges i think about resistance and like overcoming and persevering to get to the other side of those type of things i think there's a natural way to answer this and it's about external barriers um external challenges whether you want it to be being the only black evp being the you know uh challenges about sort of being foreign to an industry and finding a way to adjust and you know get through the politics and succeed. I think everybody goes through some shade of that in their lives and their careers. I think for me, the, the thing that I've been reflecting on a lot and that has become very real to me as I've, because I, I pursue challenge. Uh, like my mantra is hunt discomfort. Like I purposely find situations to be uncomfortable and every time I do it, I'm like, did I really want this? Like This is really uncomfortable. I'm in that situation right now. I do that all the time, but it always plays out, right? So because I use that as a driving force in the decisions I make, what I've been able to do is become more in touch with internal challenges. And I think a lot of people and people I speak to sort of experience this. We just don't talk about it a lot. I think sometimes we can be the biggest barrier to ourselves and our own success. I think that's the first and biggest barrier that we need to sort of succeed and find a way through or around uh, whether it be imposter syndrome and doubting yourself whether it be not speaking up or not feeling entitled to what you've earned and again there's a racial component to that and there's just a human component to that and it's a thing that as I look back at my career I realize like wow as much as I feel like I want discomfort and I've put myself in these situations and that's driven my career decisions the thing that I've not yet been able to fully conquer is that instability and that insecurity on the inside of me, right? And like, am I ever going to get to a point where I'm able to fully control that and fully embrace that my external world is a result of something happening right and the internal person that I am? So I've taken that question and I've sort of looked inward with it because everything else is we have enough experience at this point to know it's not gonna kill you and you're gonna get through it and it's fine and it develops character, but the scariest barrier to me, which I've yet to sort of figure out is the self-imposed um, barrier. As far as the mentorship aspect of the question, I, um, I mentor a ton of small businesses, people of color, people in advertising uh, of color and not, uh, you know, in like you said, it just sort of accumulates and it happens naturally. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. I feel like I need to do more of it. I do feel like at a certain point I need to ask myself the question, is this making the the, the the impact that I can be and I should be making at this point in my career? Like one-to-one things versus creating something, right? We're all about creativity. How do you take that same ability and uh, impart it in a much more purpose-driven way as opposed to, I'm a creative who's giving advice to somebody else who wants to apply that uh, to a job or a more capitalist pursuit. Like how do we actually take the power of creativity and not just on a one-to-one basis, but on a much broader basis, make an impact which opens the door that much wider. So that's an interesting space that I'm in where it's like, I think we have more responsibility than just to sort of mentor people that Look like us and that want to follow a similar path. That's great, but I think we are at a point now where we can open the door a lot wider. So that's my right.
1: I appreciate all of your remarks, and I'll I'll state this, and then I think I'd like to open it up to to all of you to ask questions and and comment. I've heard a lot from each of you, and I'll just share a brief testimony of my own. One of the biggest concerns that I have currently, and I was I was talking to Courtney about this is this very hard, and, and we were talking amongst ourselves, it's very hard to live here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, and throughout other major markets in the country. It's really hard to just just survive, right? <clears throat> and a lot of times I think we find ourselves in situations where we're so busy trying to elevate and advance our careers and support our families that the conversation around really changing a work place environment or adding the cultural nuances to advance for the next generation or those who may be in your in your footsteps that's really out of sight and out of mind because it's not necessarily a fundamental aspect of our survival. It's like hey, they got to go what they got to do what they have to do, we have to do what we have to do. I think there's a get mine mentality that not, not necessarily that's what I heard from you guys but I just want to pose that as You know, when we leave this discussion tonight, what's going to change? Right. What's what's the impression that anyone will have from this conversation if it's recorded or if there's there's imagery that's on social media? What would you want the comments on social media to state about your participation tonight? And how would you evangelize that beyond tonight? Do you feel like you have responsibility? Do you feel like there is a torch that needs to be passed or whether it's unilaterally or not, what is the responsibility that you all feel you have? Sit with that for a moment. I'm gonna come back to it, but I wanna open it up for any questions that the audience may have or just comments about the discussion tonight.
3: Thank you. Yeah, like in a time when people are finally talking about representation, like what would you like to see for individuals like in the workplaces? And what would you like to see in the future? Like what's the, the vision you would like to see in the industry. I'm
4: gonna, I'm gonna try, and if I, if I get there, great. If I don't, tell me, and uh, I'll try again. Um, I look at business in general. Not, it doesn't have to be advertising. It doesn't have to be marketing. It doesn't have to be finance. Just business in general is about progress, right? And progress comes from, and you said it, a, a level of discomfort because if you're gonna progress, that means you have to explore. If you're gonna explore, you have to be curious. If you're gonna, have to be, if you're gonna be curious, yeah, it's not necessarily comfortable, right? Um, and you have to be willing to, um, to, to take those exercises in, in, in your daily life, whether that's personally or as an organization or as an enterprise. The enterprise is probably less amenable to that discomfort because that means stockholders are gonna raise their hands, that means investors are gonna raise, right? But organizationally, individually, departmentally, you should feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's when you'll see progress, because what you'll do is you'll explore, you'll say, mm, that didn't work, let's try something different, but keep moving. And, and that's when, I, at least what I've seen, um, when the best work happens is when you gotten okay with being uncomfortable and you've been willing to be curious and push yourself beyond what's what's kind of expected what what's what's the given what what's what's beyond that given is where where to me is where magic happens
2: and we live in a world where that the definition of that applies to much broader terms than what it would have been 10 years ago like, you exploring and you finding out new things, that might just be your key to survival in some ways. That And that's just the reality of the world we all live in. So, like, it's on you as an individual to to not depend on or worry about the progress or the evolution of an industry or what are they strategically, how are they positioning themselves. We see so many industries being disrupted. It is literally, like, that soul-searching to figure out what is my passion, but at the same time, like, what is the elasticity of that passion what is the elasticity of other skills that i have that i might not be so passionate about but that i might need to sort of connect dots to and i, I just think we are in a shift in a transitioning time where people aren't used to that people like expect and they're sort of entitled to some comfort whereas like that that's complacency that you might regret in 10 years 15 years so mm-hmm. yeah i think looking at it through an industry lens is the wrong way to look at it i think it's literally just about it's like the the, the, never, the bottomless resume in some ways.
3: I actually have a hope for the source of discomfort here. And, and my hope for that is that it comes from workplaces and teams being filled with lots of different types of thinkers, lots of different types of ideas. I think that sameness breeds more of the same, and I, and I do believe that the more that we can get diversity Um, of thought um, and experiences into specific teams and working operations, um, the more that we'll be able to pursue progress and really create um, new innovative ways of thinking and operating.
4: So you're all obviously at forward
0: thinking companies, uh, HP, Airbnb, Google, Uh, do you ever like, or maybe you've answered this throughout the evening, but? Uh, how much do you
4: self-reflect on how your companies are doing with because obviously like inclusivity is probably something that is in your company's core values uh, do you feel like you live up to them or could do how much better could you do at, at at this? I'm gonna take a run at that one um, because that was a big issue It was one of the actually motivators for me to come to HP quite frankly uh, there was a guy named Antonio Lucho who was Uh, CMO at the time he's now over at Facebook Um, who I sat with before I made my decision and Antonio gave me his story and he talked about how important diversity and inclusion is he sat on a panel at Cannes um, around black girls code he really was a champion for the idea Um, what I've come to find out after having come into the organization is it is a major pillar for HP and there's a lot of talk and a lot of rhetoric around uh, diversity and inclusion as it, as it pertains to you know furthering the creative cause and the and the and the, um, and the cause of the brand but you know in in reality if we think about what goes on in Silicon Valley if we talk about what's happening in the peninsula Uh, specifically when it comes to uh, tech companies I think we can probably all appreciate this Um, there's a lot of talk but there's not as much action right and there's an opportunity to do far more than what's happening right now and I'm not even talking about just cultural divides I'm talking about diversity in its truest definition diversity of thought
5: Mm
4: -hmm. uh, diversity of ideas diversity of thinking and again the concept flies in direct opposition to the corporate objective, which is shareholder growth, shareholder wealth, stock progress, right? The way to get that is to do the same thing a bunch of times and just do more of it, right? It's not being disruptive. Organizations that truly make those decisions have to make that decision consciously and understand that there is a consequence potentially that comes with that decision. Big Fortune 100 companies, (laughs) they just don't have that kind of wiggle room, right? And so where where it manifests itself realistically is in small, non-disruptive ways to show support, right? I'm gonna go over to this HBCU and support this. I'm gonna go and be part of the pride, Parade here, and I might make this small investment in this in this startup. That's not disruptive. It doesn't interfere with the corporate objective, but it satisfies the intent to show that we're supporting diversity and inclusion. That's my reality. I mean, and I've seen it at 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 um, HP. I saw it at Apple. I saw it at Disney before I even understood what it meant. Um, it's one thing to say that you have a diverse staff, but if that staff is running the Matterhorn and making hot dogs but aren't setting strategy, w- are you really living your creed? I got to question that.
3: You know, at, at Airbnb, as I mentioned, what the, the mission is to ensure that anyone can belong anywhere. So from the fulfillment of, of making sure that we can achieve that mission. Um, business operations, hiring decisions, um, marketing decisions are all made through the lens of, does it really fit in line with our mission of ensuring that that true global diversity and true global inclusion? So we, we do find ourselves in positions of having to take <coughs> risks with certain initiatives and campaigns um, because they they might fly in the face of what we actually want to build and what we want to believe. So, an example of this is the travel ban campaign that I worked on last year. Um the travel ban was upheld. Airbnb came out very strongly um, as a vocal opponent to that. And, and it caused a lot of problems. You know, we had a lot of people who were who were upset with us taking a stand, who were upset with us speaking in support of this global community. But I think that it is in more, more important now more than ever. Um, that the company that is truly mission driven can can use that mission as a way of being able to shape and guide causes that we would be active um actively speaking on.
2: I don't speak on behalf of google i uh this is just my personal opinion. look I think at the end of the day coming from advertising an industry where its product is actually people and ideas right all the way to Google, which is a technology company, it's COGS and it's software, it's code. The problem is the same across. The percentages are different by a hair or two, but the problem is the same across. What that suggests to me is along that spectrum of different industries and different companies, of course, there's more serious intent in some places than the other, but there's a larger underlying problem that's societal, that's human, the inherent bias within people sort of the that trickles down into recruitment and to all these other things. So I think they're they're really smart plans, they're really passionate people that are within these organizations trying to change this. But and I do think companies have the power to impart positive or to affect positive change in society. So I don't knock that in any way whatsoever. But I do think the best company and the worst company are all together in the same bucket, a reflection of the world we live in. What's giving me optimism in this time is that people have platforms their voices are louder they have more sort of cause to make demands of companies which will expedite the rate of change so I think we're in that sort of transition I don't know what the end of it looks like I think it will take a very long time but you know you have to ask yourself the question is it the job of corporations and companies to undo the mess in the sort of the built-in racism discrimination uh you know bigotry that is kind of part of the fabric of the country we live in capitalism (laughs) you know all those things so i think that's a tall task but uh you know there's a there's a long way to go for for companies to like actually affect significant change within their own walls and then externally within the broader society that we live in so it's it's it doesn't sound that optimistic but i just think it's it's unfair to put all that on a company i think to some extent
0: all right so we're going to take one more question
5: thanks um mine is more of a comment than a question i i'm uh, i'm a canadian i've moved here recently from toronto and and my career has been in advertising and um One of the evolutions of advertising that I saw in Toronto was when I started, there weren't any people of color in advertising. It was all white and it was all kind of big, blonde people Um, and and over the course of my career, Toronto became the melting pot of the world. It's the most multicultural city in the world and uh, more and more people came from Korea, from China, from all the countries in the world And, and filtered into the advertising business. And so at the heads of companies, we have faces from all over the world. And one of the things I came to realize was it's not about culture, it's about character. And in advertising, we have a responsibility to transcend character. We have a responsibility and we have a voice to lead people in a direction. And that direction is mindfulness about how we take people on their voyage. And our job now isn't about distinguishing if I'm black or you're black and I'm white or yellow because there's a common consciousness of, of responsibility and responsible people. And our job now is to use that consciousness to to tell the proper stories to guide people in the right direction and I think that is what it's come down to. I, I, I think there's a, uh, um, an ignorance that transcends everywhere and um, we're not going to change that. We can influence that, it's, it's inherent. But there are people who, like all of you people sitting here today, who have the power to change the way people think. And I think that's that's where the focus is going forward. The only way we're going to save this world is where people that have a voice and have a point of view and have the opportunity to influence people, our responsibility is to do that now. And it's not a question. It's just listening to you talk. That was something I just thought I wanted to share.
2: Completely agree.
5: Completely agree.
2: If, if we were all advertising for uh, something that wasn't about like a sales deliverable or selling a product, if we use the power of what we do every day to try to figure out how to solve something, I have this conversation all the time within advertising, like we are the people who have the job of trying to influence people and understand people. It's just our motivations are misplaced because of the way we're set up economically as a society.
0: All right, well, on that note, we are going to end the panel. And I just want to thank everyone again for being here. Um, I want to thank our panelists and our moderator. You guys did an amazing job. And I think we have another 20 minutes to drink the rest of the wine and beer. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. And then I obviously want to thank Argonaut for hosting us and having us here today.
2: Thank you, Eric, for having us. And Thank you, Eric, Thank you for creating Eric. the platform.
4: Thank you, Eric.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat, and write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.